president of the San Francisco Police Commission. I'm excited to welcome you back all together, one big family. This is our last meeting of of 2021. Time is 5.42 on December 8th. Welcome to the regularly scheduled police commission meeting. I want to recognize uh, vice chair of the commission, Cindy Elias, and also our new member, Max. Um, we've got Commissioner Hamasaki. We have, um, who else? I don't have my screen up. We've got uh, Commissioner Yee joining us. Awesome. We've got the chief. We've got Paul Henderson. We've got a full house. We've got a full house. So I'm excited. Uh, Sergeant Youngblood, why don't you go ahead and call the roll? Yes, ma'am. Commissioner Carter Overstone. Present. Commissioner Carter Overstone is present. Commissioner Yee. Here. Commissioner Yee is present. Commissioner Hamasaki. Here. Commissioner Hamasaki is present. Vice President Elias. Here. Vice President Elias is present. President Cohen, you have a quorum. Also here tonight, we have Chief William Chief Scott, Scott. San Francisco Police Department and Director Paul Henderson from the Department of Police Accountability. Awesome. All right. Looks like we are ready to rock and roll. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you can join me in the Pledge of Allegiance, please rise and place your right hand over your heart and repeat after me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And again, sorry about that. I want to correct the time. I said I was 10 minutes too fast. All right, Sergeant, what do we have up on the agenda first? Line, Line item, item one. one. Please call that item. Yes, yes. discussion, discussion impossible. Adopt findings of the, for the police commission to continue to meet via teleconferencing technology per assembly bill 361, discussion and possible action. Hey, is there any discussion on this item? All right, seeing none, um, let's go ahead and take public comment on the item. For members of the public that would like to make, take public comment on line item one, please press star three now. And President Cohen, we have no public comment. Great. Is there a motion? So no motion made by Commissioner Hamasaki. Is there a second? Bless you. Is there a second? Commissioner Elias? Yes, yes. All right. Second made by Commissioner Elias. Thank you. Uh, Sergeant Youngblood, please call the roll. On the motion, Commissioner Carter Overstone. Yes. Commissioner Carter Overstone is yes. Commissioner Yi? Yes. Commissioner Yi is yes. Commissioner Hamasaki? Yes. Commissioner Hamasaki is yes. Vice President Elias? Yes. Vice President Elias is yes, and President Cohen. Yes. President Cohen. President is. Cohen is. Thank you. Sergeant, would you mind calling uh, item eight, please? We're going to take a few of our items out of order today. Yes, ma'am. Line item eight, discussion and possible action to approve revised draft department general order 5.01, use of force policy and proper control of a person for meeting and conferring with the San Francisco Police Officers Association as required by law. Discussion and possible action. 
you for calling this item. I'm very excited that we are finally bringing this before us for a vote. Uh, I want to pivot and recognize the outstanding leadership that um, Commissioner Elias has demonstrated on guiding us through this conversation. Now, Commissioner Elias, I know it wasn't just you. I know it was a full team effort, and I'm going to give the floor to you to recognize all the people that were involved in uh, bringing us uh, to this point. Thank you, President Cohen. Um, we are very happy to be at this point. Uh, it took us a long while. The chief, I really want to thank the chief. We've had long, numerous uh, conversations on uh, this DGO. Um, first of all, when this DGO was first created, it was the first in its kind. It has been the bar that other jurisdictions are using. And we had the opportunity to fine tune some of the language in it. Uh, this wouldn't be possible also without DPA's help uh, and their great policy language and suggestions. So I would definitely like to thank them uh, as well as uh, Commissioner De Jesus, Commissioner Brookter, and Commissioner Taylor, who also um, provided some input uh, with respect to the DGO. I think the most important thing in this DGO is that now we have a mechanism for reporting and documenting use of force uh, prior to our uh, these additions, use of force was only documented when it resulted in pain and or injury. And so this allows us to have a better mechanism in which we can document or we can we can track um, after the officers document their use of force. So I really want to thank everyone. And I think it would be um, beneficial to turn it over to the chief who can highlight a few of um, the, the well, the reasoning behind some of the changes that we made. So, Chief. Absolutely, Chief. I applaud you and your effort and your leadership as well. The floor is yours. Thank you, President Cohen and Vice President uh, Elias, and good, good evening, Commissioners, uh, Executive Director Henson, and the public. Um, I want to just, I'll go through a couple of highlights on uh, our revised use of force at DGO 5.01. As Commissioner Elias said, there's a lot of people to thank, and I don't want to repeat, but I do thank everybody that. Uh, Commissioner Elias mentioned and, and also thank the members of the police department, San Francisco Police Department, who worked on this and trouble troubleshot this, if you will, and, and really kind of made the product a better product. So a lot of hands went into this and a lot of eyes were on this. And again, policies are evolutions. We know we don't answer every question with policies, but I think this along with DGO 3.01, which will uh, hopefully be before the commission in, a, in the very, very near future, will really enhance our policy development process and, and keep us relevant, keep us up to date, and keep us current and in rhythm and policy revisions when they are needed. So with that, I wanna just highlight a couple of things. Commissioner Elias spoke about the documentation of use of force. One of the highlights with 5.01 is she mentioned um, about previously our use of force level stopped at the threshold was complained of or, or injury or visible injury. Now that threshold has been lowered to any force used to overcome resistance. That is, that is a, a pretty significant difference, but the idea behind that is sometimes force is used and people aren't injured and that force needs to be captured and reported for the many reasons that we stated in this commission uh, many, many times before. We need to understand why we are using force who we're using force upon, the circumstances, and all those things and all that data allows us to get better, be more efficient. And with our goal in mind of when possible to reduce force, we can't do that if we don't capture all levels of force that we use. So 
uh, this is a good addition and I think it'll give us better data to actually understand our, a, a more complete use of force picture. Some of the other highlights, the policy have, has been updated to to uh, be consistent with some of the languages, the language in recent state law, uh, immediate versus imminent. Um, the state law is, is specific on that language. And we went through this policy to make sure that all of the language in terms of the imminent the versus uh, immediate language was consistent with state law. Um, the next highlight is the going back to the reporting uh, we now will report, not as a use of force, but as a reportable incident, when officers draw and exhibit their weapons, uh, their firearms, we have created the forms and the infrastructure to be able to report that as efficiently as we can, and we'll, we'll make adjustments as this goes along. But the whole purpose behind that is oftentimes we get community members complaining about officers drawing their guns, even if it's not pointed. And understandably, pointing is a use of force at a person intentionally. But when the when the weapons are drawn, you know that that type of event uh, is very uh, it's a big event to people who aren't used to that or don't don't may not understand why the, the guns are being drawn in the first place. So now we are requiring officers to document the reasons that they draw their guns. The policy has been clear for many many years that. The firearms should only be drawn in certain uh, situations, and now we want to make sure that that is documented. And we want to do that efficiently, so we, we it's definitely uh, more documentation, requires more work. But again, when officers pull their firearm, they need to be able to articulate why it's being pulled, and the policy is very clear on why they should be able to pull that. So the documentation will help make sure that we have some oversight on when those instances occur. And there's a lot of feedback from the community, from the Department of Police Accountability, some of our um, some of our uh, policy uh, processes with DPA, such as the um, the um, Discipline Review Board and things like that, the conversations from that contributed to this this policy being put in place. Or this portion of the policy. Another issue that we addressed in this policy was to clarify and really. Uh, in detail about pressure to the neck and the head area. We saw in uh, 2020 uh, after the unfortunate incident with George Floyd that our policy has some gaps that we felt need to be needed to be bridged with pressure to the neck. So that has been added to this policy of uh, basically if in the event that inadvertent pressure is put on the head or neck area, that the officer has to reposition uh, as soon as possible. And that officer should avoid requiring uh, that type of force to be used unless there's an exigent circumstance and that exigent circumstance has to be documented. So that was a, I think a really good policy addition as well. And that has been revised. Uh, one of the other ones is just some clarification on reporting, which is uh, in page uh, under section um, B7, 5.0107B7, reporting in that last sentence, uh, this was one of Commissioner Elias's asked just to clarify that officers shall articulate specific set of facts warranting the use of force. We were already required to report force 
but we want to make sure that our, our workforce and our, our members are clear on they have to articulate the specific set of facts that warrant whatever force that they use. Um, there are just a few other things I want to highlight in this policy. One of the things that we learned through feedback over the years from our members is when we have these type of policies, especially something as, as, as important as our use of force DGO, that we need to give time for officers to understand what the changes are, to make sure that our training is really on point and that officers are given time to fully understand, and that's explained by the department and our, our training staff, and that what the changes are and what the requirements will be. Uh, I think this is the department that embraces uh, accountability, but we also have to embrace that we have to explain what the rules are and we have to explain them so everybody has a chance to process. We have a lot of changes happening at real short time span and we will, we have asked in a previous session for 90 days to do just what I described, and that is train our officers, make sure everybody's on board with what these changes are, and we will get that done within 90 days from when this is finally adopted and ready to go uh, by the police commission, and we'll get through the meet and confer process. Um, and just one, one other thing, I wanna just highlight the work that this commission did both in 2016 uh, in 2020, when we first started this discussion and, and up, up until now, our policy, we were one of the first departments that really had um, this policy, this type of policy. And for those of you familiar with the Campaign Zero, which is a police you know, watchdog type of group, they had a campaign called Eight Can't Wait. And basically there were things like de-escalation, uh, prohibiting shooting at meat moving vehicles, prohibiting the karate, things like that. It was eight of them and all. All eight are in our policy. And we were one of the first department, if not the first major city department in the country to have all eight. We've gotten a lot of accolades about this policy. And I believe this is one of the reasons that we've been able to reduce force by 60, over 60% since this policy was implemented, reduce the pointing of weapons as as our most recent data, over 80% since this depart, this uh, policy was first implemented in 2016. And I think it's gonna get even better because we are now collecting even more data that will help us get better. Uh, we've been told by other police departments that, hey, we've been looking at San Francisco's policies and we're gonna do what they're doing. Uh, we Some of our policy ended up being state law. And I think, you know, I, I say that with humility, but I say that with really the pleasure of saying that that is due to the many hands that have touched this work. It's not over yet. These policies have to evolve with the times and with the conditions that may dictate evolve evolution, but we have a really good product. And I think this married with 3.01 when those changes are, are finalized, puts us in a really good position to be one of the premier departments in terms of policy development and particularly with our use of force policy. So I asked the commission for support in passing this so it can go to meet and confer and we can get this get this going. Thank you, Chief. I appreciate uh, your remarks. I think they were very excited about where we are today. I think when you talk, when you were talking about the um, 
about um, the, the policies that we're making here in this body, in this small jurisdiction, and, and how it has an overver a reverberating effect across not only the, the state of California, but the entire United States. I mean, once again, this department, this commission is able to be a shining beacon of, 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 of hope um, and a, just a good example of strong policing um, and uh, fair policies that we're putting forward that protect everyone. Uh, with that said, um, I'm not, I don't have the ability to look at the chat, so I don't know if you want to speak. So if you'd like to speak, please uh, raise your hand. Okay, Director Henderson, I see you. Okay, all right. I'm gonna recognize uh, Director Paul Henderson at this moment. I, I will Paul, be, can you hear me? Am I muted? You're not muted, okay. but okay. I want to recognize you and your uh, and your staff and your, and the staff's contributions as well publicly. Thank you. Thank Before you so much. Uh, I am not as humble and have as much humility as the chief. I appreciated that approach, but let me just say, I am damn proud of this policy. It is a big frigging deal. I just want to give context to the work that's being done in San Francisco as a reminder that more than two thirds of this nation and law enforcement agencies do not have reformed use of force policies. That's a big deal. And even the ones, the minority of agencies that do, don't have the reforms that we are contemplating and talking about right now, most of which have already been institutionalized in San Francisco but this is going to set a new bar for efficiencies and a new bar for best practices. Again, not just for the state, but for the rest of the nation as well. I just don't wanna make, I wanna make sure that that's not lost on folks that are following these issues, that these are po policies that are reflected in recent state legislation because it's possible and has been working in San Francisco. I believe that this document, that these rules are going to be copied throughout the rest of the nation and it really is a big deal. And I don't wanna move on from it without thanking specifically the folks that all leaned in to help create this document and to create these rules, especially the folks from my policy team, Sam Ramarian, who's no longer with us, but that's how long we've been working on this since before she left. Sharon Wu, who's no longer in the office, but also contributed to this work. Uh, Janelle Kaywood and Jermaine Jones all contributed through policy recommendations, policy work, policy drafts, policy <laughs> written work uh, to make sure that we got this done in addition to the work from the commission and the department as well. But I wanted to specify specifically the folks that uh, did a lot of this work to make sure that it happened. And I cannot say enough about the significance of expanding the definitions for use of force uh, and I think the chief was talking about it with the, the drawing of the weapons, and that's not a small thing. Uh, I think it's really important that we are collecting the data because we can't analyze uh, what we don't know and what we don't measure. So we can't even move towards a better solution to codify best practices if we're not recording all of the incidents that, again, disparately affect communities of color and disenfranchised communities. And so this is important, not just for the citizens of San Francisco, 
but it gives voice and credibility to disenfranchised communities. And specifically, I'm talking about communities of color, I'm talking about immigrant communities, I'm talking about the LGBT and especially the trans communities that get underreported, undercounted, and are frequently missed and are frequently ignored in the policy evaluations that reflect best practices. And this new policy intentionally includes uh, them in the outcomes. I mean, I think this is a huge step towards race neutral policing and race neutral public service, which is public safety, which is what our goal is supposed to be here. And so I could not be prouder of this DGO. I couldn't be more proud of everything that was right about this process for the people that were at the table. I'm encouraged that we're finally here and for this vote, and I can't wait to continue analyzing the information that comes out of this DGO that will inform both our audits and our performances to move forward into the future. So thank you all so, so much for this work. Uh, honestly, everyone deserves a big pat on the back from this, and you will see over the next six months to the year the number of agencies, the number of departments, uh, and the number of individuals that will come back to this DGO in particular uh, as groundbreaking and historic, not just for San Francisco, but on law enforcement in particular and its influence. So that's it. Thank you. Well said. All right. We have said enough. We've taken quite a, a lap around, victory lap around. Let's go to public comment and hear what uh, members of the public say. Uh, President Cohen, one thing before we do that, uh, it, before we pass, the one thing that I would ask to make a um, change on the policy, I see that it refers to our DGO 5.17 incorrectly. So if we could just, um, when we pass it, uh, be allowed to make that uh, non-substantive change. The 5.17 is bias-free policing, so just the title. Good, good catch, Commissioner. We will take care of that. That's easy to fix. Sergeant Youngblood, could you give it to uh, public comment? Yes, ma'am. At this time, the public is welcome to make public comment regarding line item 8, DGO 5.01. If you'd like to make public comment, please press star 3 now. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Hi, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you guys again. Uh, the first thing I'd like to do is uh, welcome the new commissioner. I came in a little late last night, I mean, last time, and I wasn't able to do that. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if everyone, you know, um, filled you in on some of the things that uh, um, maybe like, um, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'll go back to the beginning. Uh, I guess the one thing I have about policies, of course, policy, um, uh, I feel like if you have a policy and there's no enforcement, you don't actually have a policy. So I'm wondering who enforces the policy and how is it more of an accountability policy or more of a liability policy? Thank you. Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. So commissioners, my name is Francisco da Costa. And I want you all to pay attention to what I'm saying. If you look at the history of the San Francisco Police Department, it has a long history where the San Francisco Police Department has been under a consent decree. That's number one. 
Number two, in the last 25 years and more, me attending the police commission, this police commission is the worst. Let me repeat, it's the worst. So stop packing your behinds and say things like, y'all are the lies and the entire nation is going to follow your policies. That is pure BS, pure BS. In order for you to know this, you have to travel. Go to the East Coast and, and, and see and what they think about y'all. And most since all the atrocities that have been committed recently that you know that I've been talking about quality of life issues, and y'all don't give a damn about quality of life issues. Y'all want to talk about the 272 recommendations that y'all took six years and spent over a million dollars. So why are y'all packing yourselves on your behind? Just do your work. Just do your work. Just do your work, attain standards, and let others say what they feel about y'all. Don't pet yourself, especially the chairperson. Last time there was this uh, one of the lawyers who's, uh, got, who took the seat of a judge. He said, oh, I spoke to the chair. You can speak to the chair before. I don't know what, what that means, but the chair wasn't present at the last meeting. That stupidity, you know? We are watching. Who's eating what? Thank you, caller. Excuse me, caller, you have two minutes. Hello, my name is Susan Buckman, and I would like to echo Mr. Acosta's remarks that agreeing that maybe it's a good idea not to brutalize people is probably not the standard we want to hold up to the rest of the country. What we want to hold up to the rest of the country is that we follow the policy and we enforce the policy and we actually bring down these incidents of use of force and violence against black San Franciscans. So I've read the policy and I've compared it to the previous one and on paper it is you know, it is impressive. It does expand things and it particularly expands the things that need to be reported. But if someone reports something, what, what is the follow-up? Are officers going to be disciplined if they don't report that they've grabbed someone or had them sit on the ground, which is what the policy requires? If you even have someone sit on the ground while you're detaining them, you have to report it. And if someone doesn't report it, is there going to be any kind of follow-up? So paper doesn't matter. Paper doesn't matter. Actions matter. So bring down the disparity in use of force, and then you can slap yourself on the back. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Hi, my name is Kate Hodge, and I also volunteer at Wealth and Disparities in the Black Community. The following is a quote from our founder, Felicia Jones. Quote, there's an urgency to address the injustices of Black San Franciscans. I'm going to call it what it is, anti-Blackness, when it comes to use of force, arrests, and racial profiling, traffic stops of Black San Franciscans by SFPD. I've grown tired of talking to police commissioned SFPD and to the Board of Supervisors. Where's the urgency? The tables were turned, these statistics represented white folks. I know there'd be an urgency. I agree with First Lady Michelle Obama when she said, own that, that happens to us. When are you going to take responsibility and address the harsh bias and unjust statistics for the love of all San Franciscans, not just Black San Franciscans, which is truly your responsibility as you took an oath to uphold the law and support and seek the good for all San Franciscans? 
As I said, I'm tired, not tired enough to quit, however, tired of being a dead horse and tired of our concerns falling on deaf ears. Tired enough to look to new sources to find this anti-blackness inside of your chambers and offices in urgency, and therefore we've sought help from Attorney General Bonta, unquote. In tonight's meeting materials, there's a new use of force department general order. SFPD's own data shows that a black San Franciscan is nine times as likely as a white person to be subject to use of force. The policy apparently increases officer reporting and appears to be meant to reduce injuries caused by officers. One can't help but wonder though, what about all the deadly force which brought the federal DOJ here? The killings of Mario Woods, Amilcar Perez, Lopez, Alex Nieto, Luis Congora, Kata O'Neill, Jessica Nelson, all of whom had no gun. Does SFPD and the police commission contend that all of those killings were justified? Thank you. Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Hey there. Um, I'd like to echo a bit what uh, Susan was talking about earlier. Um, yeah, I also looked at the policy and yeah, on paper, it's good. Um, you know, there's a system to report these things. It's good to see that data. It's good to know what's happening. Um, but I, again, I guess the part that I, I still don't quite understand is uh, what enforcement mechanisms are there to make sure that officers actually do report when they do these things. Um, you know, and what, and how do you find out if they're not? Um, it just feels to me like based on what I'm reading, you know, if an officer chooses not to tell on themselves what's to be done about that, and that, that's the part that's still missing for me. So I, I would hope to uh, learn uh, what what that would be, and you know, how to make sure that's not a not a loophole in this policy. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. And President Cohen, that is the end of public comment. Great, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, so, Commissioner Elias, did you want to make a, um, the edits that you suggested in the form of a motion so we can amend the document? Sure, I'm going to make a motion asking my fellow commissioners to pass this DGO with the um, amendment that the correct DGO titles, um, any corrections that need to be made to the DGO titles referenced in this 5.01 DGO um, be permitted since they aren't substantive and wouldn't require um, the full commission's uh, agreement. Hey, thank you, I'll second that motion. Sergeant Youngblood, could you please call the roll? Yes, ma'am. On the motion, um, Commissioner Carter, over still. Yes. Carter Overstone is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Commissioner Hamasaki? Yes. Commissioner Hamasaki is yes. Vice President Elias? Yes. Vice President Elias is yes. And President Cohen? Thank you. President Cohen is yes. You have five yeses. Excellent. Congratulations. Let's keep moving forward. Sergeant Youngblood, could you bring us back to the uh, top of the agenda where we left off? Yes, ma'am. Line item two, general public comment. At this time, the public is now welcome to address the commission for up to two minutes items that do not appear on tonight's agenda, but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the police commission. Under police commission rules of order during public comment, neither police or DPA personnel nor commissioners are required to respond to questions by the public, but may provide a brief response. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415 655 
0001 and entering access code 2499-110-3110. Press pound and then pound again, and then press I'm sorry, dial star three if you wish to make a comment. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email the secretary of the police commission at sfpd.commission at sfgov.org. All written comments may be sent via US Postal Service to the Public Safety Building located at 1245 3rd Street, San Francisco, California, 94158. If you would like to make public comment at this time, please press star three. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. So commissioners, uh, 40 years ago, I visited Afghanistan. That was uh, maybe six months before uh, the so uh, they would call them the Soviet uh, at that time the Soviets uh, uh, invaded Afghanistan and I've been uh, keeping in touch with uh, the people of Afghanistan because I I happen to know a lot of them and uh, recently for over a year and a uh, not a year but a month and a half with a couple of generals and other special forces, we've been doing a, a rescue and uh, uh, managing to bring Afghans who have that documentation here to the United States of America and trying to help them. Now, when I heard that uh, Afghan that worked with our special forces was uh, shot and killed here in San Francisco and all sorts of excuses. And um, uh, I know our chief very well. I've spoken to him on one or two occasions about uh, my experience in the military. And uh, I did not like that. I did not, I, I was really angry at that incident when this gentleman was shot more knowing that there was a previous incident where a public defender was involved. And so we have to be very careful, very, very careful that we are going to get more, more of these cases because they're not treating the Afghans when they come here. They're giving them a title of humanitarian refugees rather than giving them a chance to have a green card so that they can contribute Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. My name is Susan Buckman, and I volunteer with Wealth and Disparities in the Black community. The following is a quote from our founder, Felicia Jones. There is an urgency to address the injustices of Black San Franciscans. I'm going to call it what it is, anti-Blackness, when it comes to the use of force, arrest, and racial profiling and traffic stops of Black San Franciscans by SSPD. I have grown tired of talking to the police commission, the SSPD, and to the Board of Supervisors. Where's the urgency? If these tables were turned and these statistics represented white folks, I know there would be an urgency. I agree with First Lady Michelle Obama when she stated, own that, that happens to us. When are you gonna take responsibility and address the harsh, biased, and unjust statistics for the love of all San Franciscans, not just black San Franciscans, which is truly your responsibility as you took an oath to uphold the law and support and seek the good for all San Franciscans. As I said, I am tired, not tired enough to quit, however tired of beating a dead horse and tired of our concerns falling on deaf ears. 
hard enough to look to news sources to find these anti-blackness inside of your chambers and offices and urgency. And therefore, we sought help from Attorney General Bonta, end quote. We were alarmed at Commissioner Yee's remarks last week about routine traffic stops. His remarks reflected a lack of understanding of the policing disparities experienced by poor people and black people. A black driver is six times as likely as a white driver to be stopped by SFPD. 62% of stops are for minor matters, but often result in long-term negative effects for black people. We've explained this repeatedly, and these stats are in SFPD's own reports. We have recommended to you, and will continue to recommend, the cessation of routine traffic stops. Many cities have already moved to eliminate routine stops as a step to improve racial equity. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Hi, I would just like to bring uh, the public's attention to uh, a document I found. It's called the Zeiser, uh, Zeiser Report, Z-I-S-S-E-R, from 2016. It's actually the same year we uh, passed the measure to rename the department from the OCC. And uh, I'm wondering if the commissioners have read that report, um, and if so, what they think. And then also, I'd like to look at the DPA's website. For the Rittenhouse, they have a message written by Mr. Henderson. It says, I remain committed to reforming our criminal justice system through my work on the police commission and continue centering justice and equity in my daily, daily work serving California. Uh, I guess first I'd like to ask commissioners, uh, how is he reforming the criminal justice system? Is that his job? And um, is he on the police commission? And um, is he serving California or San Francisco? And I'd ask, like to ask Mr. Henderson, how do you center your work on justice and equity? Thank you. Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Good evening, police commissioners. <clears throat> Tonight, I wanted to call you with a with a summary from a uh, report called Today's Fentanyl Crisis, Prohibition's Iron Law Revisited. Now, I have time just for the conclusion of it tonight. So here, uh, here it is. Alcohol prohibition, while well-intentioned, was undertaken without sufficient consideration of potential unintended consequences with disastrous results. Under the iron law of prohibition, the current approach to illicit opioids is likewise doomed to failure. Without serious sustained efforts to address the direct and root causes of non-medical opioid use, intensive supply-side suppression efforts that brought us fentanyl will continue to push the market towards deadly alternatives like carfentanil. We must shift the focus from supply reduction to demand and harm reduction in the short term, focusing on overdose fatality prevention and education, including expanding access to maximum is critical, especially following periods of forced abstinence or other times of special vulnerability. Broad scale up in, in access to high quality, low cost drug treatment and other physical and mental health services is also urgently needed. Ultimately, however, we must re-examine our policies through the lens of social determinants of the opioid crisis, such as unemployment, concentrated disadvantage, isolation, and inadequate access to physical and mental health care. Through difficult and multifaceted structural solutions are the only way to significantly move the needle in the most formidable drug-related public health crisis of our time. I thank you tonight, commissioners, for considering the fact that the war on drugs has failed and that the police might pay a key and pivotal role 
and helping us towards this new era. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Hi, good evening. This is Ms. Brown. I'm calling concerning my son, Aubrey Abercasa, who was murdered August 14, 2006. And I was reading in a, 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 a note from a news clipping from former Mayor Gavin Newsom. Um, it may be easier to say what this wasn't. It wasn't gang on gang violence. It wasn't one, it wasn't in one of the city's worst neighborhoods. It is, and it wasn't one of those cases where police have no leads, no suspects, and no chance to arrest the killers of Paulette Brown's 17-year-old boy. I know who killed her son, Mayor Gavin Newsom said Thursday. The DA know who killed her son. The police know who killed her son. I'm saying this because the names of the people that murdered my son were five persons and it was Thomas Hannibal, Paris Moffitt, Andrew Badu, Jason Tom Thomas, Anthony Hunter, Marcus Carter. One of them is deceased now. These people, except for one, is still running the street, living their life as nothing never happened. I believe Paris Moff is probably in jail again, I'm not sure. But Thomas Hannibal is still walking the street. The, of the people that murdered my son, how come we can't find other solutions of finding out or getting witnesses to find out so that mothers like my, myself can get some closure? The holiday is coming up, Christmas coming is coming up. Thanksgiving just left. I'm just tired of it every year. I just need some closure, just a little bit. Give me my chance in court. I want my chance in court. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Brown. Members of the public that have any information regarding the murder of Aubrey Abacasa, you can call the anonymous 24-7 tip line at 415-575-4444. Vice President Elias, that is the end of public comment. Thank you, Sergeant. Please call the next line item. Line item three, adoption of minutes, action for the meetings of October 20th, 2021, November 2nd, 10th, and 17th, 2021. Can I get a motion, please? Motion. Second. Uh, second. Thank you. Sergeant? On the motion to adopt the minutes, uh, Commissioner Carter Overstone. Yes. Commissioner Carter Overstone is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Commissioner Hamasaki? Yes. Commissioner Hamasaki is yes. And Vice President Elias? Yes. Vice President Elias is yes. You have four yeses. Thank you. Next item. Line item four, consent calendar, receive and file action, SFPD DPA document protocol report, third quarter 2021. The items on consent calendar are considered routine and for information purposes only. If any commissioner would like to discuss any of the items under the consent calendar, please advise Vice President Elias that you would like to place an item on a future agenda for presentation and discussion. Tonight, there will be no discussion or presentation on these items. Fellow commissioners, does anyone like to agendize this? Hearing none, then let's move on. 
And Vice President Lyons, I just need a motion to um, adopt. Thank you. Right, Can I get a motion? I'll make the motion to adopt. Thank you. Can I get a second? Second. Thank you. Sergeant. On the motion, Commissioner Carter Overstone. Yes. Commissioner Carter Overstone is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Commissioner Hamasaki? Yes. Commissioner Hamasaki, yes. And Vice President Elias? Yes. Vice President Elias is yes. You have four yeses. Great. Next item. Line item five, Chief's report, discussion, weekly crime trends, provide an overview of offenses occurring in San Francisco, major significant incidents, provide a summary of planned activities and events. This will include a brief overview of any unplanned events or activities occurring in San Francisco having an impact on public safety. Commission discussion on unplanned events and activities the Chief describes will be limited to determining whether to calendar for a future meeting. Chief Scott. Thank you, Sergeant Youngblood. And uh, Sergeant Youngblood, can you put the uh, graphic on the screen just with the weekly crime trends? Yes, sir. And commissioners, uh, what I will do tonight, uh, that graphic is up. So rather than read this through, I'll just give the highlights of the graphic and give the highlights of uh, the crime trends and then I'll go into significant incidents. So I hope this works. But I'm gonna, gonna give highlights for those that may not have access to this screen. Um, the highlights of to this week's crime trends, total violent crimes, we're down 1%. We're up 16% in homicides, that's a difference of seven. Robberies, uh, we're down by 5%. Assaults, we're up by 9%. In terms of property crime, we're down now 3% in burglary, which is a movement in the right direction. That percentage decrease is uh, increasing, which is a good thing considering where we were not, not too long ago, just, just four or five months ago. Uh, as far as larceny and theft, that is our biggest property crime area where we're, we're, we have an increase over last year. That category includes all types of theft, including retail theft and uh, burglaries and vehicles. So we have a lot of work to do there. Um, auto burglaries were up 36% from this time last year and we're down 21% from 2019. And 22% from 2018. Uh, just going to touch on gun violence since the majority of our homicides are gun related homicides. Gun violence, we are still up. We are a total of 36% up in our total gun violence. So we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, if there is a bright side to this, the trend has decreased over the last six months. And I do believe some of the strategies that we continue to, to employ that I've mentioned uh, many times in, in the commission hearing, including some of the work we're doing with intervention ac across the city, some of the work we're doing with identify the high risk individuals either involved in gun violence or as both perpetrators or victims and trying to really get to those individuals and their families to prevent the next shooting from happening I strongly believe that, that that strategy is starting to pay dividends and we in, intend to continue that strategy. Um, in terms of our station by station picture on gun violence, I'll just highlight that Bayview is, has the most gun violence incidents uh, this year in, with 54, Tenderloin is a close second with 43 and Mission is third with 30. Um, there are over half the stations that have 10 or less this year. 
and we are seeing increases. The most significant increase uh, in shootings is in the Tenderloin district. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about the Tenderloin strategies in a second. Homicides, Bayview uh, has 14, and that is the highest in the city year to date, followed by Tenderloin with 10, um, and Mission with nine, and Northern with seven. The rest of the stations have five or fewer homicides. Every one of these homicides is important, but I just wanna highlight the trends. Gun seizures continue to go up from last year. We had 968 gun seizures uh, year to date, which is a 6% increase over last year. And um, a large number of those over um, almost 20%, probably over 20% are ghost guns. So we've recovered 193 ghost guns uh, year to date, which is significantly higher than last year, which at this time last year, we were at 144. So that continues to be an issue that we are committed to working with our, all of our partners, the DA's office, the federal partners, and getting these ghost guns off the street. On that note, uh, the mayor signed legislation today. Uh, our, our city is one of the first to actually ban the manufacturing of ghost guns as a city ordinance. So hopefully uh, that will give us another tool when we uh, arrest individuals that are actually manufacturing ghost guns in the city. That just gives us another tool uh, in terms of laws that we can enforce. Significant incidents, uh, no homicides this week. Happy to report that. We had four shooting incidents, uh, two in the Tenderloin, 400 block of Eddie was one. The Olive and Larkin intersection was the second one. And those are still uh, investigations that are ongoing. No arrests at this time, but we do have leads that we're following up on. We also had a shooting at, in the Ingleside District at Vienna and Brazil on the 4th uh, of December and a shooting in the Central District uh, at the 800 block of Geary. That suspect was arrested and that suspect was arrested uh, by officers assigned to the Union Square uh, Safe Shopper deployment. Even though that incident did not occur in that area, the person tried to flee to that area and they were captured by those officers. So really good job by the officers involved, being alert and understand, uh, paying attention to what was going on. In other significant incidents, um, we had um, subjects that broke into uh, the Montclair, uh, retail facility, and this was in a Tenderloin, and we are investigating that. We also had a burglary abatement operation that occurred in the Central District and identified the ve a vehicle that we knew to be connected with several auto burglaries in the area. Uh, our plainclothes unit led this investigation, and they actually were able to apprehend two individuals uh, with the help of other officers um, in, this, in this case. And these individuals were arrested and this is the type of work that we're doing collaboratively between our uniform resources and our plain clothes detail to slow some of our, our burglary from auto down in our city. So uh, these officers are really doing a really good job, really good leadership by uh, Lieutenant Steve Jonas and I just wanna say hats off to the work that they're doing and they're doing it safely and in conjunction with uniform officers as we have asked them to do. We had two stunt driving events over, the, over this past week. 
Uh, they were Saturday night. Our, our department received information about 1230 AM from Oakland Police Department that a stunt driving contingent, which means a large group of cars, was leaving Oakland and making its way to San Francisco. We deployed officers in various areas in the Mission and Bayview districts where we know these things frequently occur. And our officers reported that approximately 300 cars exited uh, the freeway, the bridge at 9th and Harrison. Officers uh, followed them. The vehicles dispersed in various directions, uh, committing many traffic violations. Ultimately, when they splintered, one event took place, one stunt driving event at 16th and Mission around 12.40 a.m. and another one on San Bruno uh, in the Bayview at 12.56 a.m. Uh, during the later event, officers were uh, had bottles thrown at them as they dispersed the crowd. Uh, thankfully, no injuries to any of our officers, but we were able to disperse those crowds and prevent any further events that evening. And I will remind everybody listening that we are following up on these these incidents, and when we have evidence, we will uh, seek permission to seize the vehicle, and that vehicle will be held for 30 days. We've done that with a number of individuals and vehicles who thought they had gotten away because they escaped on the night of the incident, and we had enough evidence to get uh, warrants and seizures for those vehicles, and we will do that when the evidence is there. So um, we are following up on those cases. Strategies, including the one I just mentioned to deal with the stunt driving, our southern station focused on robberies, burglaries, and particularly auto burglaries. And as I mentioned, the plainclothes details in conjunction with our uniform officers are working around the city to combat burglaries from vehicles. Also, we've had a shift in some of our narcotics activity from areas in the Tenderloin where we put officers to 7th and Mission. So Southern uh, Station, Captain Falvey and the Southern officers have posted 7th and Mission to mitigate some of the crime that's occurring in a drug dealing at that corner. Uh, all indications is that that corner has, has been relatively uh, drug sales free and crime free since we've done that, but we know that these dealers will go somewhere else and we will have to go to where they're going and try to prevent them from doing what they're doing. And the mission, the visibility and uh, police presence, uniform presence is at 24th and Mission, Valencia Street between 16th and 21st. Uh, during the Valencia Street Merchant Walk Thursday through Sunday nights, we have uh, footbeat units out there walking in the beat. Um, and we're trying to deter robberies and thefts from pedestrians and businesses along that corridor. Also, our tourism deployment, we have officers focused on Castro Street and Market Street at Market and 18th. And then on Saturdays in the mission, we have officers on fixed posts on Mission Street between 14th and 15th. Ingleside, the issue is still uh, re residential garage door burglaries. We've had an increase in violent incidents in certain areas on Mission Street. So we've had officers do visible uh, passing calls or extra patrols along that corridor. Also, uh, our captains are communicating, or the, the Ingleside captain or acting captain is communicating with through social media newsletters uh, to get the public involved and engaged in this process and also to keep the public informed of what's going on. Uh, for incidents related to gun violence, our community violence reduction team is working with our Ingleside station 
and other investigative entities to mitigate some of the ongoing tensions and violence. This is a situation where we have ongoing beefs suffused with, if you will, between different networks of people, and we're trying to mitigate that and uh, get intervention and CBRT involved so we can stop the next shooting from happening. Um, and that is our, our number one priority. Park station, auto booths along the Hay Street corridor. We have had an increased deployment along Hay Street. We will continue to do that. Uh, Captain Pedrini and the officers of Park Station have also uh, are running abatement operations to combat this uptick in car break-ins. The community has expressed concerns with some of the activity with drug dealing, particularly uh, with uh, some of our most vulnerable people in our city, our unhoused population that are being dealt drugs by drug dealers. So we will pay attention to that as well and, and put it, uh, strategies in place to, to combat that issue. And those are the highlights uh, for this week. Commissioners, thank you for uh, the time and I will answer any questions. Great, uh, thank you, Chief. Thanks, uh, Commissioner Elias. May I ask a question? Sure. Thank you. Um, you mentioned that out of the side shows that you've been uh, seizing people's vehicles. How many how many vehicles have you seized uh, for the 30-day impound so far? I believe it's somewhere around 30, and I can get the exact number. I'll get it before we get off this uh, meeting, but we have been doing that. You. Uh, do you have any, uh, I don't know if evidence is the right word, but is there any way to show that this has any impact? Because um, it sounds like there's still these uh, side show in, uh, incidents going on. Um, or, is it, or is it just that one person in that one car is not going to be doing the side show for 30 days? Well, yeah, I think that the issue, Commissioner, is we need to have some type of accountability. Uh, we can't just sit on our hands and do nothing. And we have to have some type of accountability when these folks come in our city. You know, when you got 300 cars, it's really difficult to police. It's really dangerous. And rather than have officers rush in and create a more dangerous situation for the public and the officers, uh, we try to catch the people that we can catch safely. Um, and those that... We have evidence like license plates, vehicle descriptions, video, things like that. Um, we will follow up on them. So really the idea is deterrence here, to know that there are some consequences. Uh, and this is why the Board of Supervisors passed the legislation in the first place. So people aren't comfortable coming to our city uh, committing these acts. So the deterrent effect, we, we, we know that it's getting people's attention because that we've heard and seen this on open source social media. Um, we know that when they see us coming, they scatter. When in the past, uh, there was a lot more brazenness and boldness. Uh, and so uh, we do think just from those anecdotal indicators that it does have an impact, but time will tell. Okay. Um, but you're only seizing cars of people that are actually doing the donuts or whatever yeah, they're Okay. That's correct. It's the people who are actually involved in the in the dangerous not driving activity. Um, and the okay. And the other thing was you're maintaining one corner or street of the tenderloin now. And then I guess 
how do you decide? I, I know we kind of covered some of this last week, but how do we decide? Because obviously people are going to go sell and buy on another street. And so is it just kind of that everybody gets a turn, meaning we hold this block and then people move over to the next block and then people there complain and so you go over there? Like yeah, what is no, it? it yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a really it's 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 a number of factors. I mean, if there's violence that's happening amidst the some of the drug dealing things like that, you know, we, we that becomes a higher priority. Um, of course, you know, community complaints. We also have, as you said, we had this issue where we hold this corner and you know the, the mainly the drug dealers go to that corner. When the drug dealers go to that corner, the people that have substance addictions are going to go with them. And so it's not just the drug dealers, you know, the people that are buying drugs are going to go there too. So it's a difficult thing uh, because we don't have the, the staffing um, as much as we would like to, to hold every corner in the Tenderloin, but that's kind of what it's going to. We're holding as many corners as we can or, or blocks as we can, assigning uh, officers to, to blocks to make sure that we have the visibility and presence there. The reality is when we're out there, they don't sell in front of us. You know, they wait, they try to wait us out, they being the drug dealers. And oftentimes, you know, we get called off to different priorities and things like that, and then they come back. So we want to try to disrupt this activity as much as we can. And we know this is not the answer to drug dealing, but we do know mm -hmm. that disruption and making people uh, uncomfortable, arresting who we can, when we can, helps to, to keep some of these areas uh, free from this, this activity. So it's a, it's a very difficult battle in terms of there's just Jeez, really let, you let, need that type of presence on every block, but you know, we do the best we can. Did you, uh, have you ever seen, uh, the TV show, the wire? I have. And that, that season where, uh, they decided to stop enforcing in one neighborhood and how all the other neighborhoods were clear, but everything went to heck in that spot it's an interesting theory because it's like you know as much as i we speak about this it i i think we we all recognize that it's, it's kind of an intractable problem until we take um different solutions but anyways i'm glad you enjoyed the show it's a good it's a good uh show in this season um the other question i had i i asked you to report uh on, on the Union Square um, surge, and uh, you were gonna present a, a one-week cost to the city of that surge? Yeah, I, I don't have that, and I, can, I will have that. Um, so we are capturing the costs of Union Square, as well as other parts of the city, but um, we, we are well, spending some money, so. so what you know? What I what I had asked last week was just for a one week window from the date of the Louis Vuitton thing, just one week, just to get a sense. Um, and I'll say I also had, I mean, you know, because this was also all over the media and people were having various discussions. I had at least one larger media reach out to me and ask for this data. Um, so I do think if there's a like, if it's something we could maybe put to the commission website and publish so that people can have this information before January um, while the topic is being discussed. Do you think we could do that? Yes. Okay, thank you. You're welcome.
Thank you, Chief. Uh, Commissioner Yee? Uh, thank you, Madam uh, Vice President. Um, I have a question um, regarding the shooting. Uh, looking at the month of November last month, um, we're, we're, we're double the amount of, uh, I guess, shooting gun violence. And looking at the, the rate of uh, homicide for 2021, uh, we're going back five five years. It's, it's probably, I guess we're going to topple, uh, I guess, 2021 is going to be uh, hopefully not uh, any any worse than 2016. Is there any thoughts on why in November we had so many shootings as compared to, I guess, maybe um, last uh, October or October? And uh, I hate to see uh, December, um, you know, results uh, exceeding uh, November's uh, projection, so, or uh, results. So just want to see if you have any thoughts, strategies, uh, uh, because it's it's pretty, uh, I, I guess, how would you say it? Uh, every, everybody's is on everybody's radar, including mine. Yeah. Yes, Commissioner, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I can, what I can say and what we do know, uh, the nature of the shootings that some of the shootings were ongoing we believe ongoing uh, you know fuse of beefs between either groups uh, which is the majority of our shootings is driven by that in the tenderloin there have been uh, several shootings homicides there are narcotics related either narcotics related disputes or, or things of that nature um, and the tenderloin that is the typical characteristic of a lot of our gun violence and that is the same as this past, you know, this this fall, some of the shootings and, and homicides that we've had. Uh, we also, um, these disputes that kind of just pop up because this person is mad at that person. Um, you're looking at my girlfriend the wrong way. That's, you know, we, we've had shootings with this type of dynamic involved. So it, it's, it's, those are a lot more difficult to, to get a handle on because those types, the last type that I mentioned are more spontaneous. So it comes and goes, you know, there typically the last few years we've had, we've seen an increase in violence you know, around the holiday season. We don't really know. I, I, I can't tell you the reason for that. You know, some people have attributed that to, you know, sometimes people get depressed during the holidays and last year with COVID and even this year with some of the impacts of COVID, a lot of people were suggesting that that may have an impact, but those things are not proven. They're not uh, based on any type of research. That's just anecdotal. Uh, what I what I do know, the majority of our shootings continue the pattern of being group involved, one network of people against another network of people, and that trend is evident in some of our shootings in November. So. The, the bright side of that is those are the ones that we believe we can have the most impact on because oftentimes if we don't have individuals identified, we have groups identified and we can deal with that in a variety of ways. And that's why the strategy is about bringing intervention closer and, and, and their work is so important. But those are the ones that are the lion's share of our, our homicides, particularly gun-related homicides. <clears throat> I guess uh, for the retaliatory uh, gun violence, I guess that would be 
what, what you call your gang task force that would, uh, I, I wonder if they can probably look into, uh, I guess once you identify the trend, if, if they can uh, get in there to intervene or stop the violence or is there any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we, yes, sir. We, we don't have a gang a task force anymore. That unit is now the Community Violence Reduction Team. It's really uh, a, a different model uh, because they do bring in intervention. The, the, the community safety meetings that we do, when we identify the players, the networks, the retaliatory groups, we do reach out and we have reached out and try to get engagement between the intervention folks and, and uh, the people that are the most at risk. And, and we try to get the families involved in this. And this is not, the police department helps facilitate this, but this is uh, SVIP, the Street Violence Intervention Program, and, and those workers, and they've hired a life coach and they're trying to hire another one. And the intervention workers, they really uh, help facilitate what you're talking about. So that's in play. That's what CBRT does. And CBRT is very involved in making the recommendations of, hey, we believe this group is involved. We believe that group is involved. We believe that particular person might be at risk. Let's engage. And we try to do that before somebody gets shot or somebody has to go to jail for shooting somebody. And, and, and you also mentioned the city legislators uh, putting into a, I guess, uh, passing a law regarding the manufacturing of ghost guns here. And yes, I guess- that's Yes, sir. And um, I, I guess with the district attorney also doing the uh, enforcement too of the, the manu or the selling from the manufacturers, uh, how can we uh, parlay that both to reduce the gun availabilities in the city? Um, well, now that the city's ordinance is in, in act, if, if we come across somebody that falls in that criteria, we have another you know tool at our disposal to, to, to use. A lot of the activity when it comes to ghost guns is, is felonies anyway. And some of it might, in some cases, rises to you know federal statutes as well. So we need to use all range of tools available. The district attorney, the ATF with our federal uh, partners, we have you know, are now city ordinances. So we have to use all of it to, to deal with this issue. Okay, thank you very much, Steve. Perhaps we can even agendize that at a future date too. I think Commissioner yeah. Yee brings up a great point and that's definitely worthwhile. Thank you. Um, I don't see any other names in the chat. So can we go to public comment? Yes, ma'am. For those that would like to make public comment regarding line item, excuse <laughs> me, line item five, the chief's report, please press star three now. Good evening caller, you have two minutes. Good evening, police commissioners. <laughs> I uh, listened in, uh, with, with great interest to the chief commenting that the majority of murders in our city were drain, driven by gang-related beefs or drug-related disputes. Uh, it it harkens, back, harkens back to the conversation about prohibition and how it, it drives violence. What we can see in our city and we can see in our streets is that reliably when we have a series of busts, like we did in Tenderloin a few weeks ago, we see gang disputes over the territory that's go that has been surrendered. And, and not only, as the police uh, police chief was commenting, are we seeing the to progress and the whack-a-mole being played between the Tenderloin and uh, Fifth and Mission, 
we're seeing a steady march of technical progress. Three years ago, uh, when um, Mr. T. Wolf was uh, an addict on our streets, he, he was addicted to heroin. Now it's, it's almost extinct with fentanyl being in the majority, the vast majority, and carfentanyl growing. So we can see that marching progress as well. It isn't as simple as displacement from place to place. We both create the violence that we are experiencing on our streets and create the overdose crisis that we're experiencing on our streets with our systems of prohibition that we insist might be helpful. So I ask police commissioners again tonight whether you might contemplate ending war on drugs as one method that we might use to reduce, as you describe it, the majority of murders, the majority of homicides in our city. Thank you very much. Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. You know, I had a tough, a tough encounter with uh, our officers maybe uh, 18 months ago. And it's, it's been really hard for me to heal. It's been tough in the process. It didn't work for me. Um, I believe in humanistic psychology. I think 99% of people are actually good people. And I think when people make mistakes, when you assume what they did, you know, it, um, you might assume the wrong thing. You might think people are really, really bad. So uh, Chief, I was wondering if maybe, maybe I can meet up with you and I can meet some of those guys and we could, we could talk it out out of uniform, off duty, just as friends. That's it. And I'll meet with you and, and discuss that and see what you think. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, GPA mediation. Hello. Hello. I'm muted. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say there is a, an investigator on the call with us today. Brent Bajan, I believe is the senior uh that we could put that person in contact with if you have the number uh sergeant youngblood to follow up uh but we specifically like to help try and address whatever that encounter was to see if we could uh get some positive results out of that i do not have the number there anonymous oh uh, i'd ask the caller then uh to contact uh the department the phone number is 415-241-7711 or you can uh, Google it and go on the website uh, to contact us directly uh, to make sure that someone can follow up immediately. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Uh, I, I had already spoken, but I, I wanted to make one more comment and I didn't raise my hand again. I'm sorry. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Oh. Uh, this is Ms. Brown. Um, I just want to thank Young Blood for announcing my son's case again, but I just wanted to read this. Um, the office of the office of the mayor mayor has authorized two hundred and fifty thousand dollar reward for information leading to the arrest and prosecution of the suspects responsible for the murder of Aubrey Abracasa on August fourteenth, two thousand six. At approximately three o'clock in the afternoon, Aubrey Abercasa was killed in the intersection of Grove and Baker Streets. Mr. Abercasa was only 17 years old. Anyone 
with information or questions is urged to contact Sergeant Scott Winker at the San Francisco Homicide Detail 5533-1145. Person wishing to remain anonymous, please call the tip line. His case number, his case number is 060-862-1242. Three, eight. And again, thank you, Youngblood. I just don't want my son's case to be forgotten about. I always hear you talking about the 2001 cases on. My son was killed, out, killed in 2006, and I just don't want him to be forgotten about. And you, they say um, justice delayed is justice denied, and I don't want that to happen for my son. And with that, I thank you. Thank you, Ms. Brown. Vice President Elias, that is the end of public comment. Thank you, Sergeant. Next item, please. Line item seven, commission reports, discussion. Commissioner reports. I think we're at DPA. Oh, we are at DPA, sorry about that. <laughs> Line item six, so DPA report. We did it already. <laughs> DPA director's report, discussion. Report on recent DPA activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether the calendar any of these issues raised for a future commission meeting. Thank you. Make sure I'm mute, not muted. Uh, okay, uh, so I have uh, the statistics. Uh, they are already published as well, uh, but we are have opened 731 cases so far this year. Uh, that's down by six cases the same time last year for this final month that we're going into for December. Uh, we've closed 805 cases uh, versus this time last year, we closed 830. We have currently 285 cases that are pending and we have sustained 43 cases so far this year. Uh, this time last year, we had sustained 41 cases. Uh, we've mediated 36 cases uh, and we have a num uh, 27 cases that are still open whose investigations uh, have extended beyond a nine-month period. And of those 27 cases, 18 of those cases are told cases. We have 20 cases that are still pending, uh, 10 of which are with the commission and 10 of which are awaiting a chief's decision. In terms of the weekly trends uh, for this week since last week, uh, we received 23 additional cases with a total of 40 allegations. 30% uh, of those for, were for an officer behaving badly or speaking in a manner unbecoming of an officer. 22% were for an officer alleging to failing to taking, taking a required action like filling out a police report. 13% were allegations of an officer issuing a citation without cause. 9% were for an officer failing to properly investigate. 9% were for a complainant, which raised complainants that raised matters that were outside of DPA jurisdiction. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. <coughs> and then uh, the final 4% were for an allegations for officers using unnecessary or excessive force. Um, and cases that were involved, the types of cases that these allegations arose from were for uh, cases 
involving a neighbor's dispute, cases involving domestic violence, cases involving burglaries, uh, and citations for uh, quality of life offenses. For district break breakdown, we had four by district. You can track them and see that there were four cases that came from the Central Station and Tenderloin. Uh, each four cases from Central and four and Tenderloin. Two cases from Southern. Uh, two cases uh, which were also from uh, out of town. Oftentimes we get tourists and folks that come in, uh, and also. Uh, because with the launch of the new website, uh, if you Google police uh, accountability, you get DPA. And so we get a lot of calls that are coming in that aren't necessarily in San Francisco. And what we typically do is try and refer uh, those cases to other agencies. One of the projects that we've been working on is trying to come up with a directory, not just for San Francisco, but of surrounding areas as well to make sure that we send folks to the right areas when they have complaints like this, that uh, if we can't service them or help them here in San Francisco, that we can at least tell those folks, uh, give them a lead on where to go, which is why I said I wanted to talk about uh, the percentage of cases that were raised outside of DPA's actual jurisdiction. There's one case out of the uh, Mission District and there were five cases uh, that we can't tell which district they came out of yet uh, until we've done more of the investigation. But like I said, these are just a summary of the kind of cases that have come in uh, this week. Uh, in terms of the audit, uh, on December 7th, uh, we issued to the police uh, commission the audit on compliance for DGO 8.10. Uh, that report is available and it's public and it's on the website for DPA. Uh, and just as a way of reminder, DGO 8.10 requires the Department of Police Accountability to audit SFPD's compliance with the guidelines. And the report, that report fulfills that requirement for the calendar year of 2020. Uh, although the department has stated that no investigations, uh, and these are the First Amendment investigations, were subject to DGO 8.10 in 2020, DPA has identified several areas where SFPD and the Police Commission can improve the policies and practices around investigations related to First Amendment activities. Uh, the, in the response, SFPD concurred or partially concur concurred with all eight of the recommendations that had been made. And the report also includes a section to bring attention to the police commission and SFPD, other matters that were noted throughout the audit. They include SFPD's use of social media as a source for First Amendment event information and changes in technology that warrant the police commission and the department revisiting 8.10 requirements on video and photographic recordings at First Amendment events. Uh, on December 3rd, the Office of the Controller also received the department's 12-month follow-up to the use of force data audits recommendation. Uh, and we are continuing, we DPA, are continuing to work with the Office of the Controller to review the police department's response and to determine which of the recommendations are still in progress and or are closed. And so that's 
kind of a big deal. I just wanted to make sure that I explained it and didn't just have it up on the website for people to read it and look at it. I think it's really important and it's good work and the recommendations are strong recommendations. So I didn't want to give short shrift to that. Uh, I also, I think each of the commissioners received copies as well. Uh, in terms of uh, outreach this week, uh, DPA met with uh, St. Ignatius High School uh, that had reached out to us to talk to them about uh, DPA and youth, and they'll be including uh, information on the Know Your Rights and working with youth and some of their internal newsletters for their students. Uh, we'll also be, we also dropped off resources at uh, some of the schools who have been reaching out to us, UC Hastings this week and San Francisco State University this week, specifically on the Know Your Rice brochures. Again, uh, a lot of it has been targeted, obviously, uh, specifically for the youth. And so it's great that people are looking at that information and receiving that information. Uh, there are no, no cases from DPA in closed session today. I alluded to it earlier, but our senior investigator here on the call participating in tonight's meeting is Brent Bajan. Uh, he and the agency can both be reached at sfgov.org forward slash DPA. Uh, and the phone number for DPA is 415-241-7711. That's what I've got for you this week. Thank you, Director Henderson. Uh, Sergeant, can we go to public comment? Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item six, DPA director's report, please press star three now. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Uh, good evening, police commissioners. I wanted to emphasize uh, as with the DPA report <clears throat> that the systems resolving around, revolving around prohibition and the violence that they cause in our community are well documented in evidence and in science. The, the scientists are, are remarkably consistent. They explain that our systems of prohibition drive our systems of violence. Uh, as we can see in, in our trends, when we uh, emerge with a, with a moment of violence where we've attempted to break up the drug markets and the drug markets have been forced to, to move somewhere else, we, we see in our DPA reports, we see that there is going to be an impact in the violence in those communities where we took the police actions, specifically in the Tenderloin immediately and in the weeks following uh, the, the impact that we did with our, with our drug interdiction. So we attempted to do a drug interdiction and what we've actually resulted in is more potent drugs at fifth emission and uh, violence in the streets where we just acted with our police. And, and this is reliable, this is consistent, and this is documented in science from a broad overarching concept to its individual impact in location. Um, these documented effects are broadly referred to by economists as the iron law of prohibition. So I encourage my police commissioners again tonight to consider co contemplating the iron law of prohibition and indeed, and in addition, consider ending the war on drugs to make our city safer. Because as the Iron Law of Prohibition describes, when we legalize less potent substances, users naturally take the less potent and less dangerous approach. Thank you very much tonight, police commissioners. And uh, I just wanted to document that evidence. Thank you. Thank you, caller. And Vice President Elias, that is the end of public comment. Thank you. Next item, please. Line item seven, commission report, discussion. Commission reports will be limited to a brief description of activities and announcements. 
Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Commission President's report, Commissioner's reports, and Commission announcements and scheduling items identified for consideration at a future commission meeting. Action. Thank you, Sergeant. Uh, nothing new to report other than to say that this is the last meeting of the year and I am excited to turn to the new year and all the great things that we're gonna be doing. Uh, Chief, just wanted to confirm, I asked last time to agendize the fact that the um, department responded to the controller's office with respect to the uh, DGO 8.01 audit. I'm told that the department did respond and provided the information that the controller had been asking for. Hey, uh, yes, the, the 8.01 audit, we did respond and we have had our um, responses pretty much um, completed. So I'm just looking at the, the highlights of this. So, um, and, and uh, you know, I just wanted confirmation on that. And what I'm gonna ask now is we're gonna ask to agendize a DGO 8.01 audit, the audit that uh, DPA, uh, or excuse me, Director Henderson just mentioned. So if we can get that agendized, and then that will also give um, the department opportunity to also uh, add any other additional information uh, with respect to the audit. So um, those, sorry, those are the, that's the item that I wanted to agendize. I don't have any other items to agendize, but I'm gonna turn it over to my fellow commissioners. Uh, Commissioner uh, Yi. Uh, nothing to agenda, uh, nothing on to put on the calendar. Great, thank you. Commissioner Overstone. I'm just uh, one thing I wanted to raise uh, and just put on the record. Um, I know that the department is working on its 96A report and is, is due to have a report to the commission at some point early next year. Um, I just transmitted a request to the department for supplemental data in addition to what the department typically provides and uh, Sergeant Youngblood graciously transmitted my request. Um, just looking back at the last few quarters, you know, we've all seen the data and the racial disparities are pretty glaring depending on the quarter, you know, black people are stopped between five to eight times their incidence in the population. So that's pretty significant. And I think um, having some additional data points would be helpful. So um, I, I listed maybe a dozen, but I'll just call out a few, some that are just pretty basic, like the report doesn't distinguish between pedestrian and traffic stops. Um, the report doesn't say what the crime was, if any, that prompted the stop, that would be incredibly helpful to know. Other things like actions taken by the officer in the course of the stop, was there a search? Was there contraband discovered in the course of the search? If so, what type of contraband? Was a police drug dog used? Um, what was the result, if any? Um, I won't list them all out, but those are just some examples. Um, and I asked for the data going back to 2019. I think one of the challenges is we compare ourselves year over year but we all know that 2020 was an aberrational year for, for crime for, for obvious reasons. And so I think it'd also be good to be able to compare to a um, you know, pre-pandemic um, uh, pre-pandemic trends so we can actually um, have a better sense for, for what the trends look like. So, so thank you to Sergeant Youngblood for passing that on. And um, I look forward to the, the department's uh, response and its presentation um, early next year. Great, thank you so much for those suggestions. 
Uh, is that schedule? I'm sorry. I just want to make sure that I'm tracking that as well. Is that the first? Is that going to be in the first quarter? It's of next year. Yep. Okay. Yes. yes. And so, and some of the data that you're requesting to commissioner is going to be incorporated in the 5.03 policy the regarding the searches and investigative stops. We've included some of that in there as well to give us a better um, picture of the data that I think it is that you're seeking. Commissioner Hamasaki, reports and or requests to agendize? Um, no, but I would like to join in uh, Commissioner Connor Overstone's request. And, and I know he's new here, but that's something that we've discussed uh, needing for years now. And so <laughs> I, I see Paul smiling. Um, and so maybe this is something that we can actually get done now, since I think there's a consensus that we do need to understand better why these, these stop searches, uh, uses of force are happening. And I think the categories of identified data would help because um, we end up speculating a lot more than um, being able to, and you know, obviously it's still an imprecise science, but um, the more data, the better. So let's get work. I, I support um, any work around that. So I'm just piggybacking on the new guy. Well, he's coming in strong, so yeah, I support that. <laughs> All right, Sergeant, public comment. Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item seven, commission reports, please press star three now. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. I'm sorry. I tried to respond on the last one, but uh, I just missed it. And I'll just try to slip in it if I can. Um, I guess my problem with the mediation that you had brought up, um, if you um, if you do the mediation, there's no guarantee that the other party will, will say what actually happened. And I wonder if that could lead to a, a worse situation. And I guess the second thing I wanted to throw out there is... Um, I guess it's just a thought, but I, I would feel comfortable with our law enforcement actually investigating itself. Me personally, I, I trust in people and I think it's their reputation and I think that I think that they would um I think they would do a good job at it. It's just my opinion. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Good evening, caller. You have two minutes. Uh, good evening, police commissioners. I wondered whether, given our regular uh, our regular analysis of a variety of topics of these reports, whether we might include the efficacy of our police actions on a broader sense on our drug war. So is uh, the drug war in our city being effective at basic goals like de decreasing the quantity of people using drugs or decreasing overdoses or decreasing usage. So like if you were to look at the tenderloin and ask, have we managed to, with our recent substantial police actions, decreased the overall usage in that area? And, and that was the question I wanted to ask, whether those or that analysis might be done in a, a broad sense and might be discussed in a broad sense here. 
Thank you, caller. And Vice President Elias, that is the end of public comment. Thank you, uh, Sergeant. Uh, Chief, I'm gonna turn it over to you for a brief um, second. Thank you, uh, Vice President Elias. I just wanted to answer Commissioner Hamasaki's question about the number of, of cars that have been impounded from stunt driving activity. That number is 44. Uh, of those 44, five were cars registered to San Francisco. All others were outside of the city and county of San Francisco, at least registered outside of the city and county of San Francisco. So thank you. Thank you, Chief. Great. Well, Next item. Next item. Line item eight was already taken. Line item nine. Public comment on all matters pertaining to item 11 below closed session, including public comment on item 10, vote whether to hold item 11 in closed session. If you would like to make public comment, please press star three now. And Vice President Lash, there is no public comment. Great. Next item, please. Line item 10, vote on whether to hold item 11 in closed session. San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.10, action. Can I get a motion? I'll make a motion. Thank you, second. Second. Thank you, Sergeant. On the motion, Commissioner Carter Overstone. Yes. Commissioner Carter Overstone is yes. Commissioner Yee. Uh, yes. Mr. Yee is yes. Commissioner Hamasaki? Yes. Commissioner Hamasaki is yes. Vice President Elias? Yes. Vice President Elias is yes. You have four yeses. Great. Next. Take us into vote. Thank you. I'm going to call back again. We are line item 12 in open session. Vote to elect whether to disclose any or all discussion on item 11 held in closed session. San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.12A, action. Great, can I get a motion? Uh, motion. Second. 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 Thank you. Sergeant. On the, mo <clears throat> on the motion, uh, Commissioner Carter Overstone. Yes. Motion not to disclose. Yes. Commissioner Overstone is yes. Commissioner Yee. Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. Commissioner Hamasaki. Yes. Commissioner Hamasaki is yes. Vice President Elias. Yes. Vice President Elias is yes. You have five yeses. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night and a happy holidays. Happy Thank holidays. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody.